And there was a massive revolt against that. I mean, people didn't tolerate that. Thousands of people came out, fought them in the streets. Uh, that's where you saw those like really, you know, kind of meme um, wall of mom photos and stuff like that. And so they pulled out. And the next day after they pulled out, the local police came in and beat the living shit out of everybody. Um, and it sort of reified that we weren't talking about federal cops and we weren't talking about Trump's administration and their approach to cops. We were just talking about cops, period. You know, we were talking about not those cops, but all cops. Um, and, and so I, do you think that 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 is going to continue to have a role that actual abolition conversations are still going to be have? now that Biden's there and that we're moving past like kind of the initial wave of folks, it's not the initial wave, but it's, it's the most recent wave, I guess. I guess the best thing we can hope for is that they continue out. So, okay, in radical spaces, radical spaces, you know, in radical spaces, abolition is kind of a given. Like, of course, that's what we want to fight for. Like, that shouldn't even be a question. That's like a ground, like a basic understanding. But what's happened over the past year is that conversation has expanded a whole bunch. Kind of like we we're talking about with mutual aid, where this idea that sounded, you know, totally out there, revolutionary or whatever. It's like, well, when you think about it, when you see what's happening, like, there was inroads for people that maybe don't have explicitly leftist politics or even that liberal politics to kind of grasp on and be like, okay, sending mental health professionals and community counselors and people that aren't armed to deal with the majority of things that are considered crimes or people who are in distress, that might, that doesn't sound that bad. You know, redirecting a whole, like billions of dollars into feeding our children or helping out our schools or dealing or helping pump up public transit like that sounds pretty cool like I think there's aspects of the conversation that can appeal to people who aren't you know necessarily right anarchists right abolitionists like there's enough in there that people can hold on to and I think it's unfortunate that a lot of that injury has sort of been diverted into the defund conversation which is it's cool like that's a good start I'm down if that's if that's the best we get right now sure Killer, love it. But that's, you know, I, I think, I mean, especially as an anarchist, I always feel like there's always, like, why fight for anything if you can't fight for everything, you know? Like, demand the impossible. And it might seem impossible to abolish the police. But they haven't been around for that long, you know? There's, they, there's obviously a lot of, you know, in-depth conversations and organizing can be done around this issue. And I really hope that we keep that energy going forward. And I really hope and I think that this will happen. I think that it won't just be confined to the same radical spaces where, where we found it. I think the idea has spread enough where people that aren't necessarily the most radical whatever, like it's, it's, it's become mainstreamed a little bit, even in the way that the right wing and you know corporate Democrats are freaking out about it. It's like, well, we can't abolish the police. And if someone hears that and it's like, well, why not? Then that's one more person we can fight alongside, you know? Yeah, 100%. And, and I think the reality is that we can this is just the terrain on which we operate, right? It's like, we can grow movements under Democrats and we can grow movements under Republicans. There's just slightly different parameters for the, how that, you know, happens. Um, you know, under uh, under Democrats, people realize that things are not really getting better, right? Black Lives Matter, it surges forth under Obama because there's hope, there's, you know, people expecting that, that we've entered a post-racial world and we realize that nothing has changed, right? Uh, you know, people are being killed by the police, you know, socioeconomic inequality has not changed at all and people, have fewer alternatives and options and resist, right? There's no, there's no uh, alibi of like, let's just elect a Democrat, right? 
under right-wing governments, of course, the, the whiff of the counter-revolution strengthens movements sometimes, right? Having, having Trump in office throws a whole range of, of new people into organizing spaces and into movements, and the challenge is to keep them there, right? They're radicalized liberals. You want to get them uh, sort of hooked on you know, radical solutions and radical arguments, and you want to keep them there once the Democrats come back into power. That's just how these things work. And our goal is to kind of fashion that alternation into like these spirals that are advancing. And I think that's true, exactly what Kim was saying, is I think that we have done that, right? If we look at the ways in which, you know, arguments for even defunding, but even abolishing the police were, were absolutely fringe for even when Ferguson and Baltimore were happening. This was just a few people uh, saying these kind of things. This great organizer, uh, you know, out of the Minneapolis Black Vision Collective said, um, and, you know, and, and it really struck me when I heard it, it said, you know, like when, um, you know, a few years ago, we knew that the police were the problem. Now we know that what the solution is. Right? Now we know that we can talk about that with people. We've reached a different plane of consciousness. Does that mean it's going to be easy? Absolutely not. We're in a full sort of like retrenchment mode where Biden, of course, is the candidate of not defunding the police, right? Which goes without saying, right? Because police have not been defunded, right? And so we're going to have to play some defensive moves moving forward. One specifically is going to be the fact that, you know, for reasons that are not fully explained, the murder rate is spiking, you know, in the U.S. and worldwide. Um, and that's going to be blamed on defund, even though there has been no defunding happening, right? Like, even though it's a bullshit argument, we're going to need to push forward with stronger abolitionist arguments that say, you know what, more police is not going to solve this. Because as the murder rate increases in Philadelphia, it's going to, you know, it's going to set a record, like an all-time record in um, and it's being blamed on the progressive DA, it's being blamed on calls to defund um, when it's got nothing to do with those things. So we need to be strong with our arguments to say, you know what, abolition is the solution to these problems. It's not the cause of these problems. Do you think that increased repression is on its way or already kind of in, in process on organizers and that kind of thing? So on the one hand, we, we lived through the kind of strange way the word Antifa was used. Uh, a phrase which only anarchists and Nazis used before a couple of years ago. I had any idea what that would have meant. My dad would have had no clue what that meant. Um, and now has become the catch-all for whatever whatever they kind of indicated to mean, anything dangerous, wearing black clothes or, or organizing radical perspective. And that has created this like fervent scare. And at the same time, you have actual movements that do have the ability to challenge power, which is scary on its own side. Um, so we have some cases of these kind of huge prosecutions that J20 arrests and stuff that didn't end up kind of falling through. But there have been threats of grand juries, door knocks and that kind of thing. Do you think it's still coming? My, my fear was always that Biden would actually try and buy in his own vision of populism by trying to crush Antifa in a way. Not just Biden, but different kind of, you know, local DAs and politicians trying to say, hey, look, we're here to create an acceptable liberal space and you're not part of it. And we define ourselves as acceptable liberals by defining you out of it. That makes sense. Something that I think is interesting, this is just a quick thought, something I think is interesting in that whole arena of like the Antifa <laughs> boogeyman is that when you look at how the right wing and how the fash talk about it, it's very much intertwined as like BLM Antifa, like Black Lives Matter and Antifa, anti-fascist organizing movements. Are, are seen as one thing. And that one thing is seen as very bad and very threatening to the status quo, which, yeah, we're trying to be a threat to the status quo. Status quo is terrible. But I think there's definitely an element of like, like dog whistling and like kind of that quiet, well, not even that quiet, just general racism that 
both the Democrats and the Republicans are pretty fine with as long as it serves their cause. And, you know, I don't know, I think whatever ways of repression are coming, because they're always coming, it's going to hit like Black folks and Black Lives Matter specifically before it hits and Antifa, I hate that word, it's so dumb, <laughs> before it hits explicit anti-fascist because there's less of us. Now we are maybe more like, uh, you know, visually compelling in some ways, like especially if you think about what goes down in Portland, you know, we're all rooting for you elsewhere. I, I don't know, I think it's just kind of this, I think they're both part of what is a bigger issue of cracking down on dissent. You know, what, despite the specific goals and specific framework, it comes down to people who are challenging the status quo and who are doing it in ways that aren't deemed respectable or acceptable by the people who are in power. And so I think we always have to be vigilant against those threats. There's only, yeah, there's only so much we can do, but there are things we can do. And I think honestly, trying to find ways to marry like explicit anti-fascist organizing with the burgeoning racial justice movement and those decades and centuries of organizing, I think that's the way that we're gonna be able to survive this and push this forward because we know that the people in power, they're never gonna be on our side, no matter what color flag they're flying or whatever, you know, little flag pin they've got. But we can probably work better, we can work more efficiently to support one another and kind of grow our base of general people who are dissenting and saying this shit sucks, you know, to, <laughs> to just devolve into my natural potty mouth. I'm rambling a little bit, but I want to toss it over to you boys because I think you have something to say. No, I, yeah, I fully agree. And I think, I th so, I mean, I think one thing is that none of these conclusions are foregone, right? Like it's, it's, it's all about how we manage these struggles, how we manage these narratives. And I think the reality is that Biden was put into a position by our, you know, sort of uh, pushback on these narratives where he couldn't really embrace that sort of anti, the anti-Antifa narrative, right? I think we won that rhetorical battle. I think Trump helped us in some ways by being the sort of dumbass that he is, right? Like, um, and, and made it very hard for any Democrat to want to embrace something so clearly ridiculous as the anti-Antifa line that was being pushed. I don't think Biden would be opposed to that, but I think we put him in a situation where he can't really do that right away. But um, that doesn't mean it won't come down the line. You know, he's still in his sort of FDR populist moment. Um, and when he realizes that, you know, providing people with social welfare and, you know, extending, you know, someone mentioned housing in the, in the comments, absolutely agree. But, but when Biden realizes that extending sort of like eviction moratoriums and things like that is also going to encourage movements to become more radical, um, then I think we should expect a pushback. You know, I think we should expect um, you know, uh, you know, attempts to limit these struggles, and and that's the the parameters that they're going to come along. And the best thing we can do is to is to remain strong in these movements, right? You know, during the rebellions, there are all these attempts to, you know, inject anti antifa sentiment into black struggles, right? There were there were cops in the crowd, you know, you know, grabbing you know anti fascists, grabbing anarchists in masks, handing them over to the police. This is the kind of thing that's an attempt to divide these movements and to, you know, play and can be really devastating on a symbolic level. That's the kind of thing I think that needs to be fought moving forward is that, you know, they're going to try to fragment these movements and to shear off the most radical wings of them when they need to. Um, again, Biden doesn't need to yet. He will need to in a couple of years, I'm sure. Um, and I think that's where we need to be always on the offensive, pushing forward, making it impossible for him to do so.
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's also this sort of way of undermining of movement by creating a sort of institutional wing of the movement that's slightly more moderate, that feels like a step forward, um, and a challenge to actual independent organizations. You know, obviously, like Biden's not like some kind of like left Democrat that actually has the ability to recuperate like pieces of the DSA necessarily, but there's enough there that can get people kind of on board with like it's stuck into the cycle of lobbying or talking about the pro act only or something, something along those lines rather than actually the movement building independent. Um, I was going to toss it. We got a few questions in the chat. So I thought I'd just hop into a couple of them. Um, let's see. Uh, Melissa said when thinking about abolishing the police or the prison industrial complex as a whole, how important is it for less spaces to also be targeting open borders? Circling back to labor spaces and other organizing, is there room to talk about open borders? Because it seems like that the prison complex and police are always exist with borders. I, you know, I don't think that you can have a revolutionary vision with borders of any kind at any place. Um, and so that has to be the top line. And I think if we're thinking about the carceral state, the border is in a lot of ways the center of the US empire. Uh, these arbitrary borders that are just imprisoning people in camps. I think that if we're talking about the police movement, I mean, the largest, not the largest, but the, a really concerted part of that is targeting ICE as an independent entity. At and that's not something that is talked about in democratic circles as having any significant reform um, or changing the border policy. So yeah, I mean, we have to absolutely make that a priority. Um, 100%, you know, I just want to sort of add on and say, absolutely. There's, and again, we mentioned this earlier in the, in the sense that like the border is literally there to divide workers, right? Insofar as we can weaken the border, facilitate migration, we're strengthening the working class struggle across the hemisphere because this is a global struggle and it can only manifest. We only get stronger, you know, as we can build these, you know, these sort of transnational movements. But you have these people on the left or the so-called left, like the Angela Nagel type argument, which has a resonance in a sort of conservative AFL-CIO type, you know, movement of saying, well, unions really want borders because they strengthen our bargaining position, but ultimately they really devastate that bargaining position. They doom the labor, labor movement to a slow uh, kind of death. And just to say, you know, we're talking about abolishing ICE, which I think is good as an easy target, right? But fundamentally, we're talking about abolishing DHS. We're talking about abolishing the border patrol. You know, we're not just talking about going back to pre-2001 where there was no ICE, right? But border patrol is doing much the same work. Um, we're you know talking about going back to 96 and 94 and the era era and the Clinton era reforms that gave us the deportation apparatus that gave us the border wall again this is a bipartisan effort um, and abolish ICE is a good strategic way to leverage that right it, and it gains a certain kind of you know the mass support came from a kind of anti-Trump rhetoric family separation rhetoric but we're against the whole deportation apparatus right like we're against something much much bigger than what Trump was doing um, and it's something that the Democrats have been a part of from day one that Joe Biden, Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton have all been a part of. Um, and it's the, you know, I mean, abolition of the borders, the horizon, but we, we want to get rid of ICE as a stepping point, a stepping stone to getting rid of border patrol, to getting rid of these border police, right, to getting rid of the to, border uh, detention cut this off, but it's uh, got time to head out. I want to play a quick song called Take It by Ashley. Yep, and then uh, we'll be back next week. Thanks so much for tuning in. They say in juggalos a gang, bitch, we worse than that. We trying to fix this fucking planet. We ain't looking for no purse to snatch. Wasting resources to hold us back. And
black people getting murdered for nothing ain't that shit pertinent we repped a hatchet where's the hurt in that they're classifying us some shit to make us sound ignorant well i got some shit to vent the government is full of shit and i don't want to sit and live with it fuck the establishment fuck the ups fuck the population fuck all their Let's go. 
it's Bug Ass Square. It's Tuesday. It's six o'clock. Um, yeah, uh, it, it is. I, 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 I'm not lying. I'm not lying. Have you seen that vigilante man? Have you seen that vigilante man? Have you seen that vigilante man? I've been hearing his name all over the land. This week on Buckhouse Square. Well, what is... Ah, let me tune this down a minute let me, so I can really, like, uh, lean into this. This is, uh... <laughs> I brought a bunch of records. I, I'm really kind of uh, feel uh, not quite whole from last week's uh, uh, lack of records, but um, uh, I'm, I'm, I shouldn't say that. I I, I feel <clears throat> I feel real good right now, and I feel like it's uh, because I'm going to be able to play two hours of excellent music. So. Thanks for doing what you got to do to do. This is Bug Out Square, and um, off we go. Mini Radio, dig. We'd pass the time away. Sleeping in some good warm place. Man, come along and we give him a little race. Was that a vigilante man? Preacher Casey was just a working man And he said, unite all you working men Killed him in the river Some strange man was that A vigilante man Does a vigilante man? Why does a vigilante man carry that sawed-off shotgun in his hand? Would he shoot, shoot his, brother his brother and sister, sister down? I rambled around from town to town. I rambled around from town to town. And they herded us around like a wild herd of cattle. Was that the vigilante men? Have you seen that vigilante man? Have you seen that vigilante man? I've heard him all over the land.
where's that honey? Where's my garden? Where's my money? Unreal values is a crass distortion. Unwed mothers need a portion.
Just the ground. 